Hello everyone to another episode of our incredible Troll Expeditions podcast. Today we're having Mino as our guest. He's a member of our snorkeling team, so today's episode is actually a follow-up to the very first episode that touches upon general topics regarding snorkeling in Iceland. The difference is, we're in the middle of winter now and things change a little bit. It's cold outside and special preparations are necessary to make it comfortable for our clients. So, well, after hearing what sort of amazing things in life Mino is up to, he will introduce us to winter snorkeling. So here we go. Welcome Mino, scuba and freediving instructor, former performer, teacher and our beloved snorkeling guide. Hello, hello. Hi Michael, thanks for having me here. Mino, I would like to ask you about your background because I know that you're Italian and this was how I was introduced to you. Yes. I remember that Ronan said like, okay, we're having... Uh, new uh, diving instructors, snorkeling guides coming and they're Italians, you know, and then turns out you speak. And that's what I heard during the briefing that you were giving during one of your tours in Silfra, that uh, you have this beautiful, resounding Scottish accent. <laughs> and this was so shocking to me. So you are Italian, but you're also Scottish, correct? Uh, yeah, it's correct. It's, um, yeah, it comes a bit confusing to, to people at first, uh, you know. Where are you from? I'm from Milan. <laughs> Doesn't sound particularly Italian. When you heard me, of course, I was speaking to a group of um, Britons. So it comes out a bit more when I speak to, to the natives, I guess, the, the Scottish accent. Yeah, I guess it's a, it's a bit of a hybrid accent, I would call it, a fusion accent. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds perfectly Scottish to me, by the way. <laughs> okay. But uh, I have to say, this is one of my favorite uh, accents in the world when it awesome. comes to English. So like, I always uh, happy to listen to you talking. And so I'm very happy that we're going to be talking English today and not Italian, of course. Okay. But just to, as a sort of a footnote, Italian is actually my favorite language, although I do not speak it, but I love the melody of Italian. You know? So when somebody tells me like, oh, the French is the most beautiful language or, or uh, the Russian is very pretty. You know, I say like, no, they hold no candle to Italian, I think, in my opinion, of course, personal opinion right there. But it's the melody of it is, is really, really beautiful. So the, what do you think? Uh, which one is prettier? Is it Italian or Scottish? In the last few years, Scottish has become a bit more popular as an accent. I, I feel, especially after a TV series and things, um, I don't know if you're... If you know about Outlander. Of course. I mean, okay. I, I was born in the 80s. Okay. So wait, Outlander? No, it's not the Highlander. No, no it's not the Highlander. Oh, it's a different thing. Yeah. But the Highlander was Scottish, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, well, the actor was French, probably. Christopher oh, really? Lambert. Lambert. Lam Lambert, yeah. Uh, Christopher uh, Lambert, yeah. yeah. He was French, really. He was French. And Sean Connery, who is Scottish, was a yeah. uh, Spaniard in the, in the movie, say. I'm not wrong. It was, yeah, it was a bit confusing. Apparently it's now become a bit more popular. Some girls even find it sexy, which is quite a surprise because when I was uh, growing up, it was always considered like quite an ugly accent. <laughs> like, would you say it's because uh, Scotland is basically colonized by England in a way, you know, or something like that? And, uh, and so maybe uh, the English people were always like kind of looking down on Scottish people for, in a way, you know, culturally it was like all those guys from the, the highlands, you know, some <laughs> shepherds running around with their sheep and... Uh... Uh, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot that has been said about what happens with sheep in Scotland, <laughs> with sheep in Scotland, but <laughs> it's not completely true, at least. Right. <laughs> not on the we have the same experience. stories in Iceland, by the way, about sheep, because Iceland is completely oh, okay. overridden by sheep as well. 
So I know all of those stories, of of course. <laughs> and uh, you said something about the new uh, TV series Outlander. What is that? Well, it's actually not new. It was uh, it was out a few years ago. It's now, if I'm not wrong, it's uh, a girl like traveling in time, and she finds herself in uh, in the Highlands. It was very popular. The Scottish accent became kind of hip after that. <laughs> in a way, I feel it's uh, maybe also more reassuring than other. British accents, so uh, that's another reason why it's become popular, probably. Before we started talking here and recording, I mentioned uh, another TV series that we'll get back to, but it's actually Italian, and it's probably, hands up, my favorite TV show ever, but uh, we'll get to that, and uh, and uh, we'll get to talk about uh, Paolo Sorrentino, etc. But tell me, please, Italian cuisine is famous around the world. Not only because of the all the Italians that traveled around the world and have like kind of spread the influences, but also I think there is a, a good substance for that. As in, uh, is Italian the best cuisine? What do you think? Well, I am a bit of a foodie myself. I I really enjoy tasting new things, and uh, I would say that definitely Italian food is amongst the best. I'm uh, not sure if it is. Absolutely, my favorite, but it's uh, it's always there in the top three for sure. It's healthy cuisine based on good, simple ingredients, fresh food. So a lot of people get the idea that it has to be uh, a dish has to be complex to be tasty. While uh, Italian cuisine very often uh, um, shows you the complete opposite, and a good pizza can be done with some very very basic ingredients. My girlfriend's favorite food is uh, pasta with tomato sauce, and that's it. And that's basically it, of course. So, what, what do you add to a good uh, tomato sauce to make Ooh. it stand out, sort of? To make it stand out, yeah. I myself am quite a fan of bolognese, mm-hmm. but I'm uh, I now live with my beautiful vegetarian uh, girlfriend, <laughs> so bolognese is not exactly in our menu lately. Really, if you have the right Tomatoes, the sauce is good. You really need very little, a bit of sugar to make it less acid, a bit of salt, just salt, a little bit of pepper. Well, of course, uh, as an Italian, soffritto. So what is soffritto? Soffritto is a bit of uh, onions, a bit of um, garlic, and depending on the area, you might have celery or carrots. And it's just gently fried before putting the sauce in the pan or in the pot. So you just glaze the just diced veggies? Um, well, it's close to that, yeah. There's not an actual glazing, but yeah, roughly, roughly that, that's what you would expect. And sorry, just uh, you thin. don't want to caramelize the onion, not to that point. What's caramelize yeah. the onion. So not too, not too far out. No, no. Yeah. I'll have to invite you sometimes to taste uh, <laughs> some Italian food. I'm, uh, I actually enjoy cooking. Uh, so if you're a fan of Italian food, I'm sure you would enjoy in some of my creations. <laughs> I would absolutely love that. Yeah. I am also a foodie myself and uh, I have never gotten really that much into Italian cuisine and it's because I'm a little bit, uh, how to say it, like a picky on my carbs. Mm. And uh, since pasta is like a staple of Italian cuisine and it is full of carbs and uh, I understand that if you eat a lot of pasta and I have Italian friends, right? So times I've seen they mostly eat pasta. So pasta for <laughs> breakfast, pasta for lunch, pasta for dinner. And I find it a little bit heavy and uh, maybe not what I'm looking for in a in dish. Huh? But I'm open-minded. Yeah. So if you are 
open-minded as well about cooking for me, then uh, I would love that. Yeah. And uh, I, w- I would love to. Also, I think recently, maybe <laughs> just yesterday, I think I seen a, a YouTube uh, video about what sort of types of food do have a lot of protein that you didn't know about. And turns out that actually pasta, a good like a whole grain pasta actually has a bunch of protein. It's very protein rich. So this is also good for working out. I'm doing it constantly, you know, so I'm always on the lookout for like some uh, different types of, of stuff in my... I have never been a fan of rice, as in like I've been scuffing at rice for like decades now. And I used to travel out around South America and especially the West Coast of South America. And they're crazy about rice there. I spent plenty of time in Peru and the typical Peruvian dish, a lunch, is consists of uh, you have on your plate a bunch of rice, a bunch of French fries and a piece of chicken. That's it. So for a foodie, that's basically a, a suicidal dish. It's a massive drama from me. So I always told them, like, please do not add rice to it. You guys live in South America. You have so many traditional local crops. You don't have to look towards Asia. Nothing wrong with the Asian cuisine, by the way. But just like thinking about what a variety, what abundance of local crops they have and how they uh, kind of concentrate on, on rice was a bit of a problem for me. But then recently... I have really started to get into rice and bought myself a rice cooker <laughs> and pretty much every day I'm, I'm eating rice. So I would actually, what I would love to try, if you would be somehow willing to cook it for me, yeah. would be a very good risotto. risotto. Yeah. Now that's one of my go-to dishes when I, when I have guests because it looks fancy, smells and tastes amazing. And honestly, it's a lot easier than what you think to prepare. You're showing off a bit but without having to put too much effort. Now, since my mom is Scottish, I had to learn how to cook at a very young age because, of course, (laughs) it was a bit difficult, you know, with uh, her kind of cuisine is not exactly what... What kids might find delicious. Uh, I also have younger brothers, so... Are you talking about Huggies or...? Well, also, yeah. And I, I guess it's all the culture behind the time you put and the love for your dishes and everything. But it came to my mind, like, when you were mentioning pasta, uh, we do actually eat it every day uh, to the point that there's this friend of mine from Chile... Wonderful blues musician, by the way, his album is out now. So, and Well, his... let's give him a plug-in. What was that? Absolutely. Uh, so um, he is uh, in Chile now, but you can find it online. It's called Live for Erminio, which, by the way, is my name. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Really? So this is about you? Uh, no, just that I was uh, constantly there when they were recording. So they were like, it's a bit like a live for you. Wow, <laughs> yes. it's beautiful. And uh, the first song is actually called, and I think it's the only one in Italian in the album, is called uh, Tutti Giorni Mangio la Pasta, which means I eat pasta every day. And it tells, <laughs> you know, the story of how he... Moving to Italy, he actually started uh, eating pasta every day. It's a, it's a nice, we, they like to call it a spaghetti blues. You know, like there's spaghetti westerns, This their music is spaghetti blues. But yeah, it's, um, carbs are obviously a huge part of, uh, of our diet. But it's, it's not as bad. As you mentioned, even for sports, a lot of sports persons in Italy eat pasta before I don't know, a football game or any kind of... Uh, to give you a kick of energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I understand that. Yeah. I think I can stand behind it if I 
uh, find myself in your home. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> I'll uh, just uh, come around before workout. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's gonna be that. So uh, one question though, uh, you mentioned your friend from Chile, and uh, you said inspired by Italy and Italian diet of eating pasta practically every day. Yes. Once he came back to his homeland. Chile, which west coast of South America again. So I uh, suspect similar to Peru and Bolivia and uh, Colombia, also pretty heavy on rice and French fries. Would you say this is what he came back to switch his diet for? Or would he just like introduce pasta to fellow Chileans? I'm pretty sure he brought uh, the pasta culture back because he was he was really into it. The song itself is basically just a uh, a number of pasta dishes that he ate during his time there. So it clearly was was a big thing. I'm, a, I'm actually a big fan also of rice. I've lived a, a lot of time in Asia, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're starting to appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So since you said that Italian cuisine is not uh, specifically, might not be your favorite, yeah. although you do appreciate it, yeah. then what would you say is your favorite cuisine as a foodie and, and et cetera? Well, I'm a huge fan of Indian cuisine. I love making curries. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah. Well, then uh, we can swap because I make a great curry. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, yeah. Uh, we, we we should have this uh, cultural uh, dinner. <laughs> and I have to tell you one more thing. My wife makes a professional lasagna. This sounds like a challenge to me. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I would love to see it, you know, one day when uh, you come over maybe and uh, we have her lasagna and you're going to be like, yeah, you know, sure, it's good. And then behind you, I was like, there's something <laughs> missing here. Where's the basil? You know? <laughs> So just to kind of wrap it up about the cuisine, please do tell me, I'm intrigued, recipe for great risotto. A recipe for great risotto. Yeah. I, I'm not sure I can give away my secrets really? like this. Yeah. Just, okay, then, uh, nah. then uh, the second <laughs> best risotto, what would you say? Okay. Uh, well, the main thing, uh, it's not something physical. It's really the time that you, you spend uh, in front of your risotto. You have to either constantly and uh, look at the way the broth has been absorbed, uh, try not to make it, obviously try not to overcook it. Suggestions are also to toast the rice beforehand. Toast the rice? Toast the rice a little bit, yes. How? What do you mean by tossing the rice? Around the room or? Uh, not, not tossing, like toasting it. Uh, toasting it, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So toast the rice a little bit. On oil or? It. Just on the plane, on the plane, uh, on the plane uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And of course, uh, at the end, uh, leave it to sit with uh, with some butter in it. I wouldn't even start making a risotto if there was no butter in the house. It's really, really essential. You see, you speak Spanish, so you might recognize in Italian we call this uh, thing of putting the the butter after mantecare. Mantecare, yeah. Yes. Well, that's <laughs> what is it in Italian butter? Burro. A burro, okay. But Which is something very different in Spanish. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's an, a donkey. It's a donkey. And yeah, yeah. My mantequilla. Uh, so mantequilla. Mantecare is, uh, yes, leaving that butter at the end. Everything uh, in between uh, really depends on your personal taste. Yeah, I would love that. Actually, uh, in my rice cooker, once I'm done you know, cooking it, yeah. I just open the lid and actually toss butter inside. Yes. Yeah. Somebody said that everything tastes better with butter, correct? I agree, absolutely. And by the way, Icelandic butter is amazing. I didn't it is very know good, about yeah. it until a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's uh, becoming addicted to that stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, no, very, very tasty. Yeah. 
Have you had any opportunities to try Icelandic cuisine? I don't eat that much Icelandic food just yet. I've, uh, I, I think my favorite dish uh, so far was the Arctic char. Although as a scuba instructor, there's always a bit of conflict when eating fish. So I've uh, kind of given up eating fish, but as a foodie, I had to try it out once I was here in Iceland. So yeah, that was quite something. I really enjoyed that. As a traveler in South America, I have to say that, for example, in Peru, it's a dish to eat a guinea pig. Did you know that? It's quite delicious, to be honest. And it's just a traditional Peruvian cuisine dish, you know, so it's uh, something if you ever go to South America and any of our listeners, be sure to try it out. It's really good. Yeah. So that's that. I know we have kind of like a complicated emotions about uh, eating our pets, <laughs> but let's think of it that way. It used to be a, like a farm animal before it was adopted as a pet somewhere in, you know, in Europe and uh, North America or so. And since you are a scuba and freediving instructor, please do tell us where did you do your best dives? This is a question I get very often. It's also a, a very complicated question to answer. I mean, as you might know, everyone dives for different reasons. And uh, I do feel that there is beauty in most dives. Uh, in a way, I was uh, very affected and very surprised uh, when I did my cave uh, training. I didn't think I would enjoy it that much, but you do get to see some really outerworldly places. Uh, there's, uh, you know, these incredible chambers where magic happens, really. I've been into caves and you surface and you can hear like the sound of little girls' voices. That's actually just the air coming in into the cave, but it's quite a neat experience. Um, I've seen chambers covered in stalactites and stalagmites with uh, salt crystals growing uh, onto them. So that was, that, that was a really magical experience. So just for our listeners who might not be acquainted with the whole idea of diving, so uh, let's make a little segue into what actually cave diving is and how you get there. You got to be like pretty experienced diver to actually take up a course in cave diving, right? So what it is, you usually just go into a submerged cave, right? And try to explore that, correct? There is definitely a lot of training behind that. There are places, since it's become quite popular in the last few years, there are places that offer like a first experience, an intro to cavern maybe. So it's possible to get an idea of how that works, but the training behind it to actually explore a cave is quite complex. Uh, you, you have to know how to use a lot of equipment and uh, there's a lot of blind mask exercises. So before actually uh, being in the cave, you'll be kind of blindfolded underwater, mask is covered, and uh, you have to learn uh, how to uh, deal with any problem that can happen. Uh, so yes, it is long, it is complex, it can be quite expensive as training, but it gives so much satisfaction. And uh, one of the things I loved about it is that it just makes you a lot more aware as a diver. It's something I suggest everyone to try if you're into diving, even if you're never going to actually explore caves. It definitely helps a lot with everything that has to do with your movement and the way you listen to your body underwater. So although it can be a bit more complex uh, than uh, other kinds of diving, and of course you shouldn't expect to see much life, it 
does give incredible uh, satisfactions and uh, and can be really magical at times. You mentioned blindfolding and yeah. this is like I suppose just a like a kind of a procedure that you learn and this is why exactly in caves important. Well, this is of course if something happens to your lights, oh, you always have redundant equipment, especially, you know, we're speaking about rather technical things. You always have to leave space for human error and for bad luck, I guess. So in a scenario where all your lights are not working, all your bodies or the rest of the groups, you still have to make your way out of the cave. So you have to be able to recognize your cookies and certain other markers so you can tell where you came from. Don't get lost in a cave. You have to learn how to deal with the rest of the group. You might have to change position. You might have to help someone. And all of this is done in absolute darkness. Hence the blindfolding before you actually find yourself in that situation. And I think this is an experience shared with also wreck diving procedures as well. And I think it's maybe not necessarily because of your light going awry, but I suspect silt. Silt, yeah. Yeah, and that's also pretty common in caves, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. So absolutely. just stirring up some of the whatever covers the walls of yeah. the cave or a wreck that can like reduce your visibility down to zero, I suspect. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and then yes. try to orient yourself can be quite difficult if you don't have a proper training with that, right? Absolutely. Um to give you an idea. In Sardinia, I did a dive where we actually surfaced inside a cave and explored some chambers, some dry chambers. So getting back into the water, what was perfectly clear, pristine water when we surfaced, it got to like zero visibility because we were jumping back in full of mud and clay from the kind of had to climb uh, to these chambers. Within a second, the visibility was reduced to zero. Even in, in that case, we did have lights, but they were not of much use. <laughs> As for the, the silt, of course, that can be a huge problem, especially because sometimes there's very small passages and uh, sometimes the bottom can be a bit problematic. But that's why I'm very strict with my students on the way you kick, especially if you're going to be in a wreck or inside the cave. Uh, I understand that it can be a bit stressful for students to get to that level, but I mean, it's essential if you, if we want to continue visiting these kind of places that, you know, we, we, we also respect this area and it's not just for the visibility, you know, there's so much uh, damage that can be made. They're very wreck, sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So especially the stalactites and stalactites that you mentioned. Oh, also, yeah. Very sensitive, right? If Absolutely. you touch, it just breaks away and yeah, it's yeah. gone forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's mesmerizing at times seeing uh, the way some of uh, the cave divers move. Uh, as I mentioned, something people should try and keep in mind that it's an amazing, incredible training, uh, even if, uh, if you're not going to do it all, all that often. Absolutely. And just to ask you about what your next goal might be, if you have something in your head somewhere about maybe the next cave dive that you want to explore and how does it tie into, I've seen spectacular YouTube video yes. about the gypsum cave up in Siberia. Yeah. Have you seen it? Uh, no, not yet. Okay, and I have I'm to share it with you. Now, it's, yes. it's massive. Yes. It's massive. It's made completely 100% of gypsum. They were going into it, it's just snowy landscape. And then somewhere underneath the mountain, there's this like enormous cave system. And they have this area there where first you take a couple of uh, bends around some tunnels. And then you arrive at this immense space that they call the Sea of Darkness. 
because it's so big wow. that you cannot see the floor of the cave, neither the ceiling. It's so massive that you can just arrive into this huge, huge area where you cannot like really see the the outlines of it. And it's it's massive, you know, it's completely dark with only the lights of the divers inside. I'll share it with you. Maybe this is going to be your next uh, cave diving challenge. Now yeah. that I've uh, experienced working uh, in, a, in such a cold country, you know, I think I can, I, I'm ready also for an exploration in Russia. Why not? <laughs> that sounds great. And so I'm thinking, shouldn't we start to get to talk about snorkeling in the wintertime? What do you think about that? Yeah, that's what we're here for. Isn't exactly. It? Yes. Okay, so we've run through all the details of how snorkeling tours are uh, back in episode one of our podcast, but I'd like to mention now it's about winter snorkeling. So Mino, what are the basic differences in between season and silfra? It's important to remember, first of all, that the water in the fissure is uh, the same temperature all year round. Uh, so um, in a way... There's a bit less shock coming from the cold and jumping into the cold. But as you can imagine, what people are concerned about is trying to stay warm. The differences are so mainly in the preparation to the snorkeling itself rather than the experience in the water. So there's little things, little corrections, let's say, that we, we, we made to make it as easy and comfortable as possible. Just to cut in here, when you said jumping into the cold, of course, since we are in dry suits and in uh, like uh, nice fleece onesies underneath, what's mostly is just going to be cold is, is your cheeks, basically, and your lips, right? Yes. And when you're snorkeling in the water. Yeah, yeah. Really, that's the only part of the body that's in contact uh, with the water. It's a heavily equipment-reliant kind of activity. So if the preparation is done correctly, there is very little risk that, that, that people actually get cold. As you mentioned, you will get cold around the lips and maybe on a, a part of the cheeks. And that is absolutely bearable. From my experience, the lips just uh, are fine. It's a little bit cold, but it's yeah. not like stinging cold or anything like that. You get used to it really quickly. Let's say when we decide to snorkel it as, uh, in the wintertime as a customer, how should you prepare what to take and what not to take? Let's yeah. get into that. Consider that uh, most of what you actually need for the whole experience is provided by us. So once you get to Silfra and park your car, you can actually leave most of your stuff in there. Uh, remember to take your jacket for the walk, to take gloves and a hat if you have it, because of course, between uh, when you start putting your undersuit, which is uh, the fleece you were mentioning that keeps you nice and toasty inside the suit, and the moment in which you'll be wearing our neoprene gloves or, and hoods, there's moments in which you might want to have your own gloves and hat on, maybe during the briefing, which of course is not particularly long, but uh, you know, you're always, you'd rather be safe than sorry, I guess. So yes, do take those gloves and hat. Also remember not to take too much stuff, what you need really is one thin base layer and the rest is provided because from the undersuit to the neoprene uh, dry suit. Also, keep in mind, uh, for many people, this might not mean much, but a neoprene uh, dry suit keeps you warmer than most other dry suits. Plus, you have the fleece, thick gloves, big hood. You don't need to take too much. Don't take big bulky bags. Uh, 
it's really no point in doing so. We also provide uh, dry bags for all uh, the be- your belongings, everything that doesn't come into the water with you. So yeah, and it's going to be stored at the snorkeling base. So I noticed many times that people just bring backpacks with them yes. with like all sorts of things in the side, especially like clothes for changing, maybe packed lunch, maybe some water bottles, yes. etc. So I just want to touch upon that as in. You can totally leave your backpack in your car Absolutely. somewhere on the parking lot. So what I want to say is just take a jacket, whatever you want to take on a nice little walk in nature. So from the car park to the snorkeling base. So just a thick jacket, gloves and a hat, a pair of shoes. Yep. You might want to avoid coming in Crocs or like flip-flops, especially <laughs> yes. if it's cold outside, right? And certainly you do not need a swimsuit. You yeah. do not need a swimsuit. Yeah. I always suggest to bring a nice thick uh, socks. Uh, maybe wool socks. There's fantastic wool products made with wool here. So you might as well stop in one of the shops in Reykjavik and get a nice funky pair of uh, woolen socks. Not everyone uh, has, you know, uh, suffers cold the same way, but I tend to reassure my customers because people tend to worry a bit too much about how cold they're going to get. And uh, it's enough to go and see our trip advisor to notice how many people say it was actually surprisingly not cold. One of the main reasons why we're there and why we prepare for this is so that your experience as a, as a customer is as easy as possible. And that, of course, includes uh, making sure that, that you're nice and warm. We said you have gloves. Uh, obviously, extremities are the part of the body that usually gets colder. So as I mentioned, if you have a good pair of socks, take them with you. and. Uh, for your hands uh, during winter we tend to put a little bit of hot water inside the gloves before we head to the fisher so, so that's going to be the gloves the neoprene gloves that you uh, get from us eventually yes so before we head into the fisher we actually put hot water in them yes so that your hands stay warm for the like the longer duration of time and uh, let's make it so much more comfortable of course yeah, Ab- so absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. also consider of course that the water that does get into the gloves during your snorkeling will heat up the body temperature very quickly. So kind of isolates you from the cold outside. By the end of the tour, you probably feel like your fingers are in some tiny hot tubs. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's very rare uh, for people to actually complain about, about how cold they got during the, the experience. It's usually quite the opposite. They're surprised that cold is not a huge factor. It's very important for us that people can focus on the experience because after all, and Michael, you know this very well, we are in an incredibly unique place. For many people, this is one of the highlights of their visits to Iceland. And I, I understand why. Silver is one of those places that is exactly like you see it in pictures. You know, sometimes you visit a new place and you're like, ah, you know, it's not exactly what I, you know, what I expected from pictures. Well, no, Silfra, once your head is in the water, it's exactly like that. And uh, I have something to do, uh, to say about that. Because yeah. you see, sometimes weather in Iceland can be, you know, you say, garbage, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you come into Iceland and maybe you're expecting rain, but especially in shoulder seasons and uh, sometimes in the wintertime as well. Uh, what you're going to have is those intervals of maybe warmer and colder weather. And when it gets a little bit warmer, above zero starts sometimes raining. It gets pretty stormy. And so uh, your sightseeing is not going to be like, you know, just maybe you're going to be soaking wet possibly for one or two days of your stay in Iceland. But in Silfra, once you're head down in the water, 
the weather down there below the surface is always fantastic. It's always the same. So this yeah. is, I think, like a pretty good highlight of the whole thing. You can always in Silvera expect to have good visibility and great weather down there. It does not change with anything. Absolutely, absolutely. So even if the weather outside is pretty bad, you know, and it's raining and it's just kind of dull and depressive, once you get in there, that's what you see. Whatever was on the pictures, no touch-ups, beautiful, spectacular place right there. Yeah, one of the most satisfying things, I guess, especially at the beginning of the, when we first get to the waters, hearing these people actually like squeal <laughs> or, or shout uh, because they, they, this is, they might not expect place to actually be like that. Yeah, it's, it, it, uh, and, and I want to add, they were squealing and shouting, yeah. being impressed. So, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Else. And yeah, I have had that many times. People just like, wow, this is amazing. Yes. You know, lifting their heads up from the water. I was like, wow, look at that. This is great. So yeah, I think Silvra not only delivers, uh, but also very often exceeds the expectations. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, winter comes with, uh, it might give us some problems. We have to take some more precautions. Uh, uh, while preparing our customers. And once again, this is really something we do as a customer. We don't have to expect to have to do more than what you would do in summer. All the extra precautions are taken by us. Mino, our morning departure starts still before the sunrise. So how do we tackle lack of light? We're leaving a bit, bit earlier lately. So once we get there, yes, it is dark, very dark, but we do have some uh, very powerful lights. There is a light on one of our vans. Plus this year we added uh, one more big spotlight. We are the only company there with uh, so much light. So, I mean, I remember the first time I turned that thing on, it's basically daytime again. So that is of course the first thing we do to tackle this problem. Also, you have to consider that we want you to be there before sunrise so that you can make the most out of the daylight time that we have. Once you get in the water, the sun will have risen. Really, once you get there, you get ready, either in the van where there is light, it's also heated, and the parts done outside, once again, have two very powerful lights illuminating the whole place. And by the time people go into water, it's already daylight, so they can already is, yeah. enjoy the day as it rises. Yeah. Yeah. We are usually the first group in the water in the morning, which is wonderful. You know, having the place for yourself makes it uh, even better. So avoiding all the crowds as well that yes. are connected to later departures. Exactly, exactly. We planned it this way so people don't have to wait in the cold. When we have uh, small groups, also the briefings are done on the van, very large customized van that we use. And it's heated inside. And as it's well. heated inside. Yeah, that's very nice. And tell me, what if it's icy at the snorkeling base? How do we tackle that? Okay, uh, of course, during the season, this kind of season, it's uh, often icy. There's spots of ice on most roads. In the parking lot where we meet in the morning, uh, we use uh, rubber mats and uh, sand and grit. So by the time the customers arrive, all the icy spots have been spotted by our staff and we uh, have already taken care of it. Well, that's uh, what I really wanted to hear, you know, yes. so we make it safe for our customers at the snorkeling base. So it's not really that icy. We put grit and thank yeah. you for that. So now please take us through the whole preparation process from the arrival to the beginning of snorkeling itself. Could you? Absolutely. On a typical day when the customers arrive, they are checked in, first of all. 
We sent you to the toilet, which sounds a bit weird to some of our customers, but remember, you've been a dry suit for over two hours, so this is actually an important thing. Uh, you then get into the van. So toilets at the snorkeling base, they might be saturated, we know, with yes. people. So it's actually the best idea to use them at the parking lot where you leave your car. There's great yes. facilities there for you. They're in a great shape, so use them there, you know, if you can, and then you can just make your way to snorkeling base and then it's all done. Yes, if you come uh, with, uh, as part of a tour, most likely the driver will actually arrange this one, take you to the toilet before you, you get there. So yes, that you don't have to wait in line for too long. You then move into what we call the changing van. Once you get in there, you're given um, a onesie, an undersuit, which people love. Uh, a lot of people keep telling me, oh, I would want to take this away with me you know it's so warm and all your uh, belongings uh, everything that's not going into the water with you will be put into into a dry bag that we provide inside the van once you have your onesie on also yes of course under onesie I, I might have mentioned this before usually we ask customers to only have one thin layer uh, the undersuit itself provides more than enough warming. So preferably maybe like leggings. Or, leggings uh, and a thermal long shirt. Johns, yeah, thermal yes. shirt. Sweatshirts not allowed inside the onesie and a dry suit, but uh, just like a base layer. But of yeah. course, come in with more clothing on you and then the yes. rest of your clothing you can leave behind in a dry bag and then uh, you get into the onesie and then uh, that's that. After you get into the, the one seat, we'll start providing you with the dry suit. And uh, now the gearing up is, uh, is done all together because um, most people who come uh, don't have much experience in a dry suit. So tend to let the customers follow our way of doing things. It's just a lot easier. This way we can assure that we minimize any risk of leakage, even minor leakages. All our suits basically are new, so they're in great conditions. Really and, nice suits, uh, very comfortable as well. Yes. And just for our listeners as well, for those of you that haven't listened maybe to the first episode, uh, very first one, that uh, we have about snorkeling in general in Iceland, just a little bit uh, like sort of a reminder or maybe an explanation the dry suit, the whole nature of the dry suit is you do not get wet inside. Yes. That's why That's it's called the a dry sense. suit. So basically, once you get into the dry suit, you get zipped up and completely sealed away yes. from the water outside. Yes. So that's why the onesie and your base layer inside the dry suit are going to stay dry throughout the whole snorkeling experience. Absolutely. We also apply wrist straps and neck straps to the seals to the, to the dry suit to minimize any risk. These dry suits are not tailored around your body, so... Applying these wrist straps and neck straps helps with sealing the suit completely. I never get wet, even like uh, drops of water don't get in in those new suits that we no, have. No, so no, no, we're very happy with that. Brand new dry suits, you know, you guys uh, can come around to try them out and uh, you're going to be very happy with that. So it's like uh, really good quality stuff and perfectly new equipment that we're using. And uh, it's going to be fantastic for you as well. Also, of course, we have uh, neoprene gloves and hoods. So. Of course, you should always have uh, gloves and at least a beanie hat when you're in Iceland in the winter, but you're on holiday. I get it. Sometimes people forget. They just leave them in the car. So even for those who are a bit more forgetful, you know, we can always provide that. Uh, gloves in the hood also during uh, the process of preparation. So yeah. we're sure that you don't get cold. Once you're in your suit, we also 
And during the winter, add some hot water. We put some in your gloves, so your hands are nice and warm. Also on the walk to the fissure itself, which is only a five-minute walk, maybe even less. And we also have hot water at the platforms. So if you're someone who particularly suffers the cold, okay, don't worry, don't be shy about it. Please tell us because we are prepared for that. And, you know, we want to make sure that you actually enjoy the experience as much uh, as we did maybe the first time we were there. So yes, don't be shy to mention any particular need. We're always ready to help you out. Yeah. And uh, we'll put more hot water into your gloves, maybe exactly. spray it over your shoes of yes. the dry suit. And possibly if you're a little cold, you know, or chilly, you can also have a glass of hot water before yes. entering as well. Yeah. So that's going to be really nice and comfy and quite uh, warm. So that's how we prepare for the snorkeling itself. That's, that's great. And tell me now, what are the boons of doing it in the winter? Why would you actually decide to give it a shot in cold weather rather than during summer? I mean, what is the advantage of doing it in the winter? Tell me. Well, of course, it's more adventurous, so that's kind of cool. And uh, you are doing something that feels a lot more extreme. Although, as I mentioned, we actually do basically everything for you in the preparation. But there are definitely big advantages. Silfra in the snow is something that everyone should see. It's incredible. I spoke to you about this maybe right after it happened, just a couple of weeks ago. It was, we got to minus 14 seven degrees Fahrenheit. Outside of water, isn't it? Outside, outside, of course, (laughs) of the water. But it was still one of the best days I had in Silfra. We had this incredibly long sunrise. It was uh, as beautiful outside as it was inside the water. We had these pretty pink mountains for the whole snorkel. And uh, sometimes uh, when it gets particularly cold, you also see the water steaming. The water is around two, three degrees, so something like 37 Fahrenheit, just above uh, freezing temperature. But on a cold day, this is enough to make it look like warm water. So it feels a bit like being at the Blue Lagoon or something, but you're actually in Silfra. I guess the the, the, the snow just makes it that little bit more magical. Also, swimming while it's snowing is uh, surprisingly fun. I feel that, yeah, you are missing out if you choose not to visit Silfra because of the cold. Even if you've been there in summer, it will look a lot different. You know, all the algae have died off. It's clearer the way you can see in the bottom, the crevices in, uh, in Silfra, the rock formations. So yeah, I actually encourage you to, to try. It's uh, definitely a different experience than what it would be in the summer, but there are simply some things you wouldn't see. Silfra is the kind of place that changes every day. I never get bored of the whole landscape of the, we're inside this incredibly beautiful national park. But yes, I do feel that having this experience with the snow around you, with these beautiful long sunrises just adds to the whole experience. So it might be even better. I might add myself, I'm very impressed every time it's a beautiful day out there in the national park. And like you said, when the sun starts to rise and it's the endless sunrise and what we say, the golden hour takes the whole day. Yes. yes, So even though the days are shorter, let's say, you know, four hours maximum during the winter time, you really do see it as a golden hour throughout the whole day. And really then the sunrise, when it starts happening and over the snowy mountains, when it's painting them pink, that's what you mentioned, is what I really uh, experienced as one of the most beautiful 
wonderful things uh, on earth really you know and that's yes. why also iceland is generally regarded as as one of the most beautiful places on earth <laughs> Absolutely. I think. especially on the days like that when you go snorkeling in this beautiful immense exciting environment with stunning vistas all over the place sometimes lumps of ice all over the place across the fissure or the banks of silvera and of course the snow as well glittering in sunlight it's oh, just yeah. so beautiful my uh, favorite film director is Paolo Sorrentino, your fellow Italian. Yes. So I just want to mention something from one of his shows that's called Il Papa Giovane. Is it correct? Yeah, that's uh, surprisingly accurate. Okay, yeah, so it's The Young Italian. Pope. For those of you that don't know, it was on HBO. I think still uh, you can find it somewhere on HBO if you get an app, etc. Uh, but it was co-produced with Sky, I think. That's the Italian one. Paolo Sorrentino, great Italian director. So it's Young Pope, it's Jude Law being a pope and is a newly appointed pope and there is one of the cardinals that uh, kind of stands against him and him as a pope you know he can do literally anything to the cardinal within the confines of the of the rules so he asks him to to come around to his office and there's a globe he asks him to spin the globe and this is the way he punishes him he says like put your finger in a random place you know so you can stop it the globe stops spinning and he asked him, what, what is the place? And now I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly the scene, but I think it was the Cardinal says, oh, it's a Cameroon. So obviously it's about getting relocated somewhere from Rome. And Jude Law says, no, no, it's Alaska. You're going to get relocated to Alaska. And the Cardinal is very depressed about it. He says, but I'm so old. Like, I don't think I can manage in this cold weather. And Jude Law says, well, taking from Josip Brodsky, which was a famous poet he says the beauty of arctic is the best beauty that there is and so this beauty of arctic you can also experience in, in iceland in the winter time and uh, hopefully snorkeling with us in silvera on a beautiful day like that and even if it's raining remember that it's always great weather below the surface yes. of the water so silvera is going to be unaffected by bad weather and you will still have amazing pictures that we will take with our gopros that every guide has with them so you're going to not only experience this Think for yourself within uh, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, but uh, you are also going to have plenty souvenirs in form of pictures, not even touched up. Those pictures that you find online are true to reality. So stunning experience for you to have. And you guys, please do book them on troll.is. It's T-R-O-L-L dot I-S under the tab snorkeling tours. And uh, we are going to welcome you and uh, you guys have a great day. And thank you very much, Mino, for joining us for the episode of Troll Expeditions podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Molto grazie. Prego. <laughs> grazie anche a te.